Hi, everyone. It's Noelle. Before we get started, I want to let you know that as we begin to unpack the end of this particular episode of Buffy, we get into a discussion of white supremacy and how it shapes the antagonist of the story. And as white people who are relatively new to having discussions like these, we are going to get some things wrong. I say that first as a content warning for any of you who don't want to listen to yet another well-meaning white person muddle through a conversation about race. And second, as an invitation to other white folks to push past the fear of saying something wrong that can keep us stuck and keep us from doing this really hard, really necessary work, especially when it comes to content that we love. So having said that, let's get into the episode. Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and cowboy guy, Lonnie Diane Rich. I'm film scholar and comfortador, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm concept developer and essence of the Slayer's power, Dr. Kelly Jones. And we're here today to talk about Restless, the 22nd episode and finale of season four. Restless aired on May 23rd, 2000 and was written and directed by Joss Whedon. As you know, and as we know, Still Pretty is, as always, a fully spoiled Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. We will definitely talk about what is coming up in season five. So if you haven't seen it, I don't know, maybe watch it. Have a lost weekend. It'll be make yourself some new car smell popcorn and just go to town. <laughs> Why have you come to our lonely small town, which has no post office and very few exports? All right, let's go on patrol. In Restless, as a result of casting the magical enjoining spell at the end of Primeval, the spirit of the first slayer tries to kill Willow, Xander, Giles, and Buffy in their dreams. And, and we're, we're all, all now just realizing that the spirit of the first podcaster may be coming for us next. It's, it's possible we didn't think this all the way through. Also, there's a cheese man. Don't know where the hell that came from. I would like to, I would like to know why the cheese man is not played by Joss Whedon. I oh. don't know. I think Joss Whedon should be the cheese man. I think Joss Whedon is the cheese man. I mean... <laughs> The cheese man is all of us. I just don't get it. I have tried to understand it. I have Googled it. I'm like, writer's room joke? Drunk with cheese? I don't no, get it. I have, a, I have a theory that it's a cheese man. My no. the- <laughs> I thought you had a real theory <laughs> that there's something to the cheese man. I do. I actually have a real theory. Do you want to hear my real theory about the cheese I man? I do want to hear your cheese man theory. Okay, so the sp- obviously the spirit of the first slayer is the the connecting factor with all these dreams, right? Mm-hmm. But we need something else to indicate that this isn't she's not like leaping from dream to dream. This is shared space. Mm-hmm. Um especially because the dreams refer to each other. Mm-hmm. So we need something in addition to the first layer to cue the audience that, no, these four people really are in the same headspace. 
to mm-hmm. one degree or another. Now They live in the same world. Is mm-hmm. the cheese man the best way to do that? I don't think so, except that Buffy likes cheese. And we oh, start off with Willow, <laughs> you know, Willow's whole thing about identity, uh-huh. you know, her identity. And there's this kind of subtle, I, I don't really think that Willow has as many hangups about her sexuality as Joss Whedon seems to think Willow has about her sexuality. Yes. Yeah. But the cheese man appearing backstage for the first time as part of Willow's dream when Willow's dream is really about Buffy in a lot of ways and when when poor Riley is grasping at straws about how to approach Buffy Willow tells him she likes cheese yes so there's this kind of so the the cheese man is kind of a creation of Willow's mm-hmm. unconscious mind but also really just a cue to the audience that no these these dreams are all connected these are not four separate dreamscapes. It's one. It's one movie. It's yeah. one story. Um, I think the audience gets that from the the element of the first Slayer and the fact that they kind of will reference like some of uh, Willow and Xander being referenced in Giles' dream. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's a, it's a nice theory. I think that it's a very yeah. generous theory I that think it's, it's not just some stupid ass joke that Joss Whedon thought was funny that he just threw in as a random element. I think all of my readings of this episode are going to be very, very generous readings. I do not think that 90% of what I'm about to say was the intent of anyone involved in any way. But we'll see. Yeah, no, we'll restless, see. restless is a big problem. All right, so we've already started having this discussion, but let me go ahead and welcome our guest, Dr. Kelly Jones. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about Restless. Thanks for having me, considering that I invited myself, put myself on your calendar and said, I'm coming to talk to y'all about Restless. <laughs> Oh, and I'm so glad that you did because Noelle and I both fucking hate this episode. So we need representation from the Love Restless camp. (laughs) Um, You guys do tend to have a lot more, um, I think, patience for dream sequences generally than I do. Uh, Kelly, you actually like them, don't you? I do. I really, really do. I love that you love them. Yes. Well, and I'm I'm so interested in other people's dreams, like just in Mm -hmm. general. Um, and so dreams within story really, really delights me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know, Restless shows some of that for these characters that I love. And and we get some great foreshadowing and callbacks and these wonderful yeah. guests. I mean, we get Oz and Harmony and Olivia mm-hmm. and Snyder. We get Snyder. And Snyder. It's, and it's and so like good. Adam. I know, you know, and mm-hmm. Giles singing exposition. I mean, come on. Giles is singing okay, the Giles exposition. Singing an exposition song is always nice. Yes. So I do I do like that. There are moments throughout this that I like. Yeah. Generally though, dream sequences don't don't hit uh the mark for me because they feel like a cheap fare to, you know, depth. And, you know, and poeticism and all of this kind of stuff that I just feel is is very, very cheap and doesn't necessarily earn it. Um, Although I will say that in Buffy, generally, the Buffy dream sequences do have a narrative angle. And the thing is that for me, 
Like my primary value, the thing that I go to story for is that narrative. Like I really enjoy getting lost inside the narrative and dream sequences tend to bat me back out. Now, Noelle, are, you're kind of in the middle. Like you like yeah, dream sequences, right? I do. Generally? I mean, generally, yeah. Generally, I really like dream sequences. Um you know, especially on Buffy, like give me Buffy mm-hmm. psycho walking after Faith in a graveyard or um, <laughs> Alan, you know, former mm-hmm. assistant to the regional wannabe a giant snake <laughs> pulling Buffy down underwater <laughs> like that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just suddenly got the office reference there and it just tickled me absolutely well you know um, I do put yeah. things in my script just for you really that's I appreciate that's that point. thank but, you no I love I do love a good dream sequence mm-hmm. uh provided it is it is a good dream sequence that it is right. thought it's like well thought out and that it adds something to the overall narrative and I think mm-hmm. in that sense restless is a really mixed bag because yeah it seems to me it it looks to me like a combination. Here is some great um, expository, you know, type information done in a metaphorical way about who these mm-hmm. characters are because we are literally inside their minds. Yes. But also, like, here is some deep symbolism that just looks really deep because it's kind of disconnected from the regular world. And woo! You know, like, it's not... Right. It's mm-hmm. the reason... That dreams work, I think, in in our waking lives, in our non-television lives, is that they are messages from our unconscious mind to mm-hmm. us. Now, there are a lot of theories about, like, what dreams are and what purpose they serve and blah, 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 blah. And that's not this podcast. Um, right. Mm-hmm. But part of, part of why I think our own dreams are so compelling to us is that they speak to us in our own symbols so which is why you can have a dream where it's like okay we were at my house but it wasn't really my house it was my elementary school but in the dream it was my house (laughs) that kind of thing because you're clearly like to me dreams seem like trying to make sense of something that you don't fully grasp yet Mm -hmm. um so fictional dreams don't have that kind of removal from the the self from the mm-hmm. from waking life because they were written someone wrote these dreams right 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 exactly mm-hmm. and when you write a dream or when you write a fantasy sequence or when you write something that is supposed to be very deeply in someone's pov mm-hmm. i think it's hard to get out of the way of your own like writerly what you want to be doing and really create that that unconscious mind space for your Mm -hmm. audience am i Mm -hmm. making sense no that makes perfect sense the problem with restless is the pov is really what like if restless had been oh there's so many problems with restless (laughs) i mean but in terms of like in terms of my enjoyment of something that is supposed to be a deep psychological experience for the viewer Mm -hmm. i mean Yes. I love a story where you're not sure what is actual reality and what is, um, you know, what is in the character's mind. I love an mm-hmm. unreliable narrator. I love, yeah. you know, I mean, 
My favorite movies include Fight Club and Black Swan. I love an unreliable narrator. I love a point of view where you're uh-huh. like, wait, did that? Mm-hmm. Did he just literally what? Mm-hmm. You know, like the, I love that, but you don't. Restless doesn't do that. So there are part. I mean, there are parts I like. There are parts I really, mm-hmm. really like. Um, but there are there are moments that I can guarantee. I'm just I. Mm-mm. Like, nope, yeah. I just fucking hate this. So <laughs> <laughs> at first, I believe I was yeah. tasked with saying something brilliant to make Lonnie like Restless. And I'm like, I no, I'm not that person. No, I don't think you were tasked with that. I thought that you... I thought you liked it. So I was like, oh, good. Then maybe you'll make me like it because nobody's been able to do that yet. <laughs> Not even darling Kelly. Kelly. <laughs> oh, I didn't come on to be brilliant, sugar. It's too early in the morning for that. <laughs> you can't help it. You are naturally brilliant. But I, I, did, make a, I did make a dream chart where I like. Oh, my like, God. She oh, did. No, I love that. <laughs> Can we like extract this somehow and like put it into a PDF? somewhere and the pdf because, shirt and put it in the show notes it yeah, should, like it should be available to be like <laughs> i'm in the yeah. script i'm looking at the script and i'm like she's making a chart like she's making a, it's so it's cool. really cool it's really cool all right kelly can you go through some of yeah. this and can you explain what n equals three yes. means and what <laughs> that is? she did qualitative research on restless you guys like it's so <laughs> no, i freaking love it i love so it i i could not do like a psychoanalysis of the dreams because mm-hmm. it's not my area mm-hmm. of expertise um and also you know POV, like we were talking about, is problematic. So I was like, mm-hmm. all right, I'm going to do an observation analysis. So I just like made the little chart of each dreamer. And then I wanted to list who were the active participants in each dream. Uh-huh. And then where were those like active dream locations? Um, so mm-hmm. in when you're in a research study, in is like the number of individuals that you're talking about in a group. Okay. Because I was just curious. So like Willow, I counted 11, you know, people. And she was the only one who dreamed about Oz and Harmony. um, But she did not dream Mm -hmm. about Spike or Joyce. And then Xander Mm -hmm. had the most. His end was 12. Um, He was the only person that dreamed about Snyder. And then, you know, Xander's dad was in there. But he wasn't Mm -hmm. missing anyone from like if we compare the group that they all had in common. Everyone is in Xander's dream which I also thought was really kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, That is interesting. Yeah, Giles was the only one who dreamed about Olivia, but Giles did not dream about Tara or Joyce. And then Mm -hmm. Buffy had the fewest number of active people in her dream. She was the only one that Mm -hmm. dreamed about Adam, but she did not actively dream about Spike, Willow, Xander, or Giles. Oh, right. interesting. You know, but what oh, was man. really interesting about that was in Buffy's dream, with the exception of Riley, everyone Buffy actively mm-hmm. dreams about dies. So we have Anya, Tara, uh-huh. Joyce, Riley, Adam, and the first Slayer. So like everybody's dead or or is going to die and Riley leaves the show. So that's still a oh loss for her. Oh, so I just thought that was really, really interesting. You know, um, kind of comparing that. Connected to death. That's deep, right? Damn. (laughs) Yeah. Buffy's gonna die. I mean, Buffy has died, but like, Buffy has died. Buffy will die. Hey, I died twice. (laughs) 
Wow. That is really neat. I got to say that that's very, that's very interesting. And that makes me slightly more interested in Restless. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And it was also interesting just looking at it Mm -hmm. in, in terms of pattern. Giles and Willow both had dreams where they were performing on stage. Um, they both mm-hmm. had like their current lovers or partners in their dreams and Xander and mm-hmm. Buffy both had something with the initiative um, and they both yeah. really uh-huh. had like a strong connection to Joyce. So yeah. and they both had like past villains in there. So it's just really cool to me to kind of see like whose whose dreams relate or like who seemed to feel the most in common. But I felt the most empathy like for and vulnerability mm-hmm. from Xander and Willow, whereas Buffy and Giles mm-hmm. both seemed to be much more aware of what was going on and kind of more like work focused, you know, Slayer and Watcher. Yeah. Whereas oh Xander yeah. and Willow felt much more just human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Buffy and Giles tied for being the fucking worst. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I, yeah, there's some bad it's, stuff. It's, it's real bad. Um, but do we want to go right into the real bad or what are we where are we going from here? Where do we go? Um, I don't know. Like we have we have so far jumped off like where we've all this scripted stuff. So I don't know. Like um, I think, uh, Noelle, you've got some interesting things talking about like whose dream, who owns oh, yeah. this dream, like what is here. So why don't maybe we can start with that. And kind of melt kinda, through. Kind of ease on down the road, we've if all you will. Got so many notes. And you were there, yeah. and you were there. We're just, you I'm were just, there. anyway. Yeah, so I talked a little bit already about the idea of shared dreaming, that this is a, mm-hmm. this is a shared dream space. Um, mm-hmm. But this this concept of shared dreaming and specifically the idea of communication across dreams. I mean, you mm-hmm. mentioned Xander, Willow and Giles at the bronze in research mode. And of course, Xander has the hole in his chest from his father yes. ripping his heart mm-hmm. out, which I'll get to. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that feels very connected to the idea of sharing experiences of visual storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. In other words, Restless is about going to the movies. Now, interesting. I think in terms of a visual a, a visual story that does the this is about going to the movies. Lots of movies and TV shows have done this, mm-hmm. but uh, Inception does it best. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, Restless opens with videos and popcorn. We go directly from previously on to mm-hmm. the credits to videos and popcorn Mm -hmm. but instead of movie night with a tv screen it's movie night in our core four characters unconscious minds Mm -hmm. so i love this i love the idea of framing this as an episode of buffy the vampire slayer as experienced by the cast of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Interesting. Because as we as we have mentioned already, like this is clearly they're clearly not just in each other's dreams, but they are in each other's dreams. Mm-hmm. They collect information as they go along. I think Giles's dream um Giles's dream explains that the best when he says, you know, he sings. Yes. <laughs> we have to warn Buffy. She might mm-hmm. be next. Yeah. Like they they understand that something is coming after them individually. 
And they're um, communicating with each other. Yeah. Because Giles can see, you know, Xander's gaping wound. And then Willow references the fact that she is also in crisis. Mm-hmm. So we have a little bit of that where we know there's some element of shared reality even within this this dreamscape between the four of them because they were also they were just connected within primeval which is supposedly the inciting incident of this particular story yeah they they, were literally one consciousness Mm -hmm. we are led to believe i mean that's something i didn't talk about i didn't talk about that in our last episode like what what the hell actually goes on with that spell um right it's a very interesting idea that they join i think i think the way it's explained is that they join consciousnesses (laughs) well are they all inside are they all consciously inside of buffy's body like they're all sharing that or are they just like experiencing her you know loaning her their expertise or like how all of that is actually working i don't know I mean, she's the hand, right? So mm-hmm. she's the physical manifestation of this power. But the right. power comes from the combined aspects of all of them. Willow, right. Xander, Giles, and Buffy together. Mm-hmm. And it does because they speak, they speak as a we and they mm-hmm. speak with their voices overlapping. They may I don't I don't know. I understood that as she's she is the only one having any sort of physical experience of this because mm-hmm. that's the point, because that is right. her role. You know, the body mm-hmm. of the Slayer is kind of a big deal mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. But their their consciousness mm-hmm. goes into her. Their consciousness right. is joined together and go into her, whatever mm-hmm. that means. Um, right, right. So it makes sense that, that then there would be some, like, residual consciousness, like... You know, bleed Mind through melding. that you'd be like sure. end up. You would, you know, you Willow would end up with a little bit of Giles still in your. I'd expect them to maybe finish each other's sentences, you know, or yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah, but I actually I do like though that we have. Um, okay, one okay one thing I do like about Restless conceptually is that they performed this spell, and that magic has consequences. Um, that they were pulling on you know primeval forces that they did not entirely understand, um, and the idea that uh, that that primeval force would then have have exact a toll right for riding on that highway. Mm-hmm. I can see that the the specific source of the of the you know, uh, toll keeper, I guess is uh, is is not my favorite, but I kind of like that idea. And we sort of we visit that again, you know, a couple of times, like when they bring Buffy back um, in season six, and they have that uh, that demon that sort of you know hitchhiked along, you know, and so there was a consequence to that magic. That there's consequence to big magic. That there's the idea of. Um, you know, and and Giles's whole well, I said there would be dire consequences. You know, yeah, like that. that you know, oh my so God. there's something there's something to that which I do kind of appreciate conceptually. Um, mm-hmm. The the way in which they chose to express that I thought was uh, was lacking. Um, all right, so so Kelly, which one of the dreams is your favorite? Oh God, um, I do you think... have a favorite. In terms of character development and vulnerability, I would have to say Xander. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the one that delights me to watch, I have to say Giles. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I'm sorry, Spike as a black and white photo tourist attraction and oh posing, like I will watch that fucking scene over and over and over again. Um, and then I love it. Giles singing goddamn exposition <laughs> and instructions. Like, I know it's delightful. Try not to bleed on my couch. I just had it steam <laughs> just cleaned. Had cleaned. <laughs> and pulling his glasses off at exactly the point in the yes. song where you mm-hmm. need, where you would punctuate with a gesture, but also at exactly the point in the speech where he normally would take his glasses <laughs> off and oh, like rub the bridge of his oh, nose. Exactly. It's, oh, did yeah. you notice that in Willow's dream, Giles was not wearing glasses because yes. he doesn't see anything. Yes, right. Yeah. Yep, well, and he's also. I also love that in Willow's dream, he's a patriarchal asshat. So <laughs> <laughs> because yep. Harmony says he's searching for the word oh, props, yes. and Harmony yes. says props, and he says no, and Riley says props, and he says yes. So when a boy says it, anyway, anyway, yeah, I'm with Kelly. Xander's dream is my favorite mm-hmm. of the dreams. Um. Which I have, I guess, come full circle on this podcast because I'm a total, like, Xander apologist when it comes to Restless. <laughs> I love Xander's dream so much. Mm-hmm. I love I love it. I love it for what it, it shows us about Xander, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. including a lot of things that we sort of suspected. Or right, but we didn't new... have any textual, real evidence of until mm-hmm. this episode. Mm-hmm. But also, yeah, like, like it feels so much like a dream. Like, I mm-hmm. really am in it with him, the way he's always moving. But no matter what he does, he can't escape the basement. I yeah. love that all of the... I love that all of the sets are connected. And it mm-hmm. looks, in a couple of those cases, like that's a... a reality of the yeah. sets i don't it may know well be yeah mm-hmm. i don't know if that's true but it really does look like some of those sets are maybe connected in that way um yeah yeah like didn't uh giles go directly from the crypt into the bronze and i'm like i wonder if the back of spike's crypt just leads into the bronze i mean why not right i kind you know? of I mean, hope it does so much space yeah i kind of hope it does um mm-hmm. but xander's dream is really interesting to me because the people in his life all appear in his dream and they're kind of playing themselves mm-hmm. but also not really they're also reflections of Xander's insecurity about his lack of forward motion which mm-hmm. of course is the theme of his right. dream um, gotta keep with the moving forward yeah yeah he's got to mm-hmm. keep moving forward but he never actually goes anywhere mm-hmm. and he ends up and of course he ends up back in the basement at the end with his father who we've only heard about at this point yeah. mm-hmm. um you know his father comes down the stairs and attacks him and that's well real turns intense. into the first slayer and attacks him well but attacks him as his father yeah but i mean we, we've got the three b in the basement and every mm-hmm. time there's that pounding on the door and so we all presume at this point you know that it is whatever this monster is that we haven't clearly seen yet at this point you know um and then when the door opens and it's his father that moment is such a gut check you know because yeah. you realize that like there's a reality to xander's experience that we have not addressed and that we won't actually address textually until hell's bells in season six yeah you know um but that his um you know his home life is really dark 
Um, and, and more monstrous than anything else. Like and, there's, yeah. you know, the monster in his dream is his father. And it that, only, yeah. the, the, his attacker only appears as the first slayer in that last frame mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when it, the person who attacks him is his father. And then yeah. as he's having his heart ripped out, he sees the first slayer. It's yeah. really good and really intense. Um, and it opens with this really like, I think it's interesting that it includes Willow gasping because of course we've seen her being yes choked, mm-hmm. drained mm-hmm. of life. We're not totally sure what's happening there. Unable to breathe. Unable having to a breathe. little extended apnea. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Um, you know, we start with we start Xander's dream kind of sort of in waking life, but not really. Mm-hmm. Again, another mm-hmm. little indication that this is all the same. Right. This is all the same dream space. Um, you know, and he says, you know, Giles says that Apocalypse Now is overrated. And <laughs> which I love. I love him saying that. They're watching mm-hmm. this bizarro version of Apocalypse Now. Yeah. And according to Xander, it gets better. And then he says, I remember that it gets better. Mm-hmm. Which is so sad. Like, there's just something so sad about this thing that he, you know, he loves. Like, he's so enthusiastic about Apocalypse Now. It's a gay romp. It was the feel-good mm. movie of whatever year it was. <laughs> but then, you know, he's, like, confronted, when he's confronted with the reality of this thing he loves, it's, like, not that, or the, not the reality reality, but, like, the dream mm-hmm. reality. It's right. not that great. I um, remember it being better. But also I the dream reality better. shows this shot of this guy who's walking in this chroma keyed background. So he's walking on a treadmill. He's not actually going anywhere. Yeah. Um, so with that whole forward motion thing, I think that that's yeah. an interesting bit of metaphor there. And Giles says it's about the journey. I get mm-hmm. it. I get it now. It's about the journey. I, I don't know. I just love Zander. I love Xander's dream. I love him going upstairs and, you know, Buffy offers to... She, offers to help him or like you don't need any help with that he's going to the bathroom yeah this like super kind of patronizing like on the one hand it is sort of a joke you'd make with your friends but yes they play it so seriously mm-hmm. and his reaction is so serious mm-hmm. and then he's upstairs and he's so like torn about what's going on with Joyce and I just have to say I have had those moments in a dream where I'm like I'm like kind of into this but also maybe not (laughs) it's so it's just it's so wonderful Xander being so aimless and kind of not aimless but but confused and like easily Mm -hmm. thrown off track and then you know, she tells him, don't get lost as he's going down the hallway to the bathroom. So it's the the we hit that mm-hmm. travel motion journey, you know, theme really hard right out of the gate. It's so clearly to me anyway, Xander's anxiety about his ability to do literally anything mm-hmm. like including go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's in, it's. That is an incredibly vulnerable position to be in. Yes. Um, and, and to have a, a bunch of initiative guys taking notes while you do it, I imagine. Would be more. <laughs> <laughs> well, because Xander is Xander has that connection to like 
the idea of being a soldier and like maybe maybe I should have been in the like maybe I would be better right. off in the military. But of course, oh, at yeah, this point, our real background. Yeah, but his but also that that insecurity that we heard about in the Yoko Factor, mm-hmm. you know that he was gonna you know spike plants that seed that oh your friends were saying mm-hmm. you were gonna join the military. There's yeah. a moment I don't remember if it's in the Yoko Factor or if it's, or if it's in Primeval where. Xander is depressed in bed and says, maybe I should join the army. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And Anya says, don't they make you get up really early in the morning? <laughs> Which I love. <laughs> but then that clearly that idea, like maybe I should join the army is still in there mm-hmm. because he, you know, he's trying to he's trying to do this mundane thing, go to the bathroom. But our most recent military force the initiative is there so Mm -hmm. what would it mean like what would it mean to arrive at your destination in this case the bathroom (laughs) um and have it be the military and have it be this this place of intense structure and scrutiny that xander wants but doesn't Mm -hmm. want because he wants to be seen and known which mm-hmm. is what part of what the the bit with Joyce is about, I think, because she says, like, I've learned about boys, which I just love. <laughs> and he's like, you know, she's she's seeing him and what he needs in this way that he's not getting elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so being seen, being seen and known is definitely a theme of Xander as well. And we're mm-hmm. really and I've I feel like I've said that before on this podcast but yeah here i we get this visual representation of it with Mm -hmm. the exchange going from the exchange with joyce to the moment with the initiative guys in the bathroom which i just i just love again for Mm -hmm. feeling very dreamlike um xander's anxiety is really all over the place about like what what role he wants to not what role he wants to play, but what he wants to be seen and known for. Like, mm-hmm. he wants to be noticed, but maybe not quite so intimately as with, <laughs> you know, dudes with clipboards while he's trying to pee. Yeah. Right, right. I love the fact that he, in his dream, is observing himself. So he's like mm-hmm. watching himself at the park from his ice cream truck. Yes. Yes. And mm-hmm. there's such a contrast of how like Xander is represented in the other dreams compared to how he's represented in his own. And and I love the fact that he just highlights for us, we cannot control what we dream about. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I have woken up saying, what the fuck brain? Right. Why we did can't you control that. We, we can't control what we dream about, which is always kind of the pass given when we talk about stories with dreams, but somebody specifically wrote Everything in Xander's dream. Yeah. So, well, to Joss a certain Whedon degree, specifically wrote everything like, in Xander's dream. Yeah, like the sexualization of Joyce doesn't really sit that well with me. Um, I don't like it. Um, it feels it feels weird, and like I can understand Xander having a dream that maybe represents something about his 
insecurity about older I don't know I don't know but then we go straight from that like basically well not straight but like then we go from that and eventually end up in the ice cream truck with uh, a hyper sexualized uh, Tara and Willow in the back Um, and it's the best thing ever I hate it so much I love that you're like that. I love that you're the one who hates that. I know. (laughs) No, I find that so interesting because I really do super, super hate it because it feels so objectifying. And I mean, there's the whole thing about, oh, you know, here we've got two women when they do a spell and I do a spell myself, which was from Willow's Dream, but it's very, very branded Xander. Right. You know, Um, this objectifying of lesbians in general um, is something that that doesn't sit that well with me. But on top of it, objectifying Willow. This is fucking Willow. Like, Xander... Willow is special. Xander knows her as a human. And to put her in this this highly objectified space um, just felt incredibly gross to me. Is she objectified, though? It feels that way to me. She's very active, though. She's not an object in that scene. The the two girls kissing are not an object for Xander oh, to lust I'll get, after. I'll get there. Do okay. you want me to get there? <laughs> no, you break it. Look, I'm just saying. Like, I'm I'm the straight lady here, so I back down. Like, I defer I to your read. Definitely. I think it's but, interesting that you bounce so hard off of that, and I think I that you're probably not the only one who bounces hard off of that. What mm-hmm. do you think of that, Kelly? Well, I thought it was interesting because, and I love your your two opposing forces on this. I <laughs> I saw Willow as very empowered in that scene too. Like she and Tara are doing their thing, not mm-hmm. necessarily for him, but are kind of inviting him to you know watch or maybe learn something. I don't know. But the <laughs> the thing yeah. that killed me was I'm like, okay, so the camera cuts away when they're uh-huh. obviously kissing, and I was like, wait. Tara and Willow still haven't had an actual on-screen kiss. Mm-hmm. So, no, that doesn't happen until the body. And I was like, what the hell is up with that? Like, come, if you're going to give I, me ice cream truck lesbians, like, melt the ice cream, <laughs> goddammit. Like, do it right. I love you so much. Well, do you want to know why? Yes. Other than, other than I think it would be, now, see, I think that would be intensely problematic if Willow and Tara's first on-screen kiss was. Yes, I agree. I would want that to be the first. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. would not be okay. Mm -hmm. I don't think. I mean, for my money. But, (laughs) but I want to, can I break down this ice cream truck scene? Yes, please. We're just going to leap, we're going to leap gaily over Xander in (laughs) the sandbox, which is super, like, that's some super powerful shit. Again, with, you know, Xander's version of Giles seeing Spike as a son. Oh, yeah. And I love Xander's that. kind of sour grapes about it. Like, I used mm-hmm. to be into that, but now I have other stuff going on or whatever it is that he mm-hmm. says. Yeah. Buffy saying, I'm way ahead of you, big brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he says, brother, and we hold for yeah. recognition for an uncomfortable amount of time. And it, <laughs> it makes me squeal. But I love, Kelly mentioned it already, ice cream truck Xander. Mm-hmm. Watching Xander, other Xander, talk to Buffy in the sandbox, yeah, really speaks to this like split dream identity that like you can be both in a dream and watching the dream mm-hmm. um, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I love or, that moment. Like that was that really cool. Feels mm-hmm. that feels really like yes, like that makes me nod with recognition because I think mm-hmm. I've had 
I've had that experience in a dream. Um, and of course, then he climbs into the front of the ice cream truck and Anya says, do you know where you're going? Mm -hmm. So here we go with this, like, w you know, where this idea of where is Xander going? Buffy has said she's ahead of him. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are these and then there there are these these lesbians in the back of the ice cream truck that just delight me to no end. Um, Dream Willow says, I'm way ahead of you as she's mm -hmm. playing with Tara in the back of this ice cream truck. So in the, in the Yoko factor, we get Xander's surprise, right? Mm -hmm. They're having this big fight. Willow says to Buffy, you can't handle the fact that Tara is my girlfriend. And Xander says, Tara is your girlfriend. <laughs> and like, clearly like had never, like that had never mm -hmm. crossed his mind because of course he's the last to know. Um, and I love that this surprise comes back in this idea of Willow being ahead of him relationship wise. Mm -hmm. um, Willow and Tara are clearly better suited to each other than Xander and Anya are. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, particularly in this in this dream sequence. I mean, his demon is talking about going back to vengeance. And if she does that, Xander might be in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, she has hobbies and interests outside of him, whereas Willow and Tara you know, do spells and then they do spells together. And that in Xander's understanding of relationship is ahead of where he is. Um, mm -hmm. So <laughs> what I love, but what I love most about this is that Willow and Tara look like Robert Palmer backup dancers. Yes, they do. <laughs> they look so... Like it's it's almost ghoulish mm -hmm. the way that they are a parody of sexiness. They don't mm -hmm. I don't think they're meant to look sexy. I think they're meant to look like a a, a caricature. So instead <laughs> of being the thing, they're they're mocking this thing. They are I don't know that they're there it's it's so heightened as to be mm -hmm. ridiculous but it tracks for me really well um for xander specifically because xander i mean we know that xander's taste in imagery of women mm -hmm. is very specific because xander is joss whedon you guys we all know yes. this right mm -hmm. like you know and the robert palmer backup dancers are made up made up to look like um oh no i'm going to lose it I need to do a Google. The Nagel woman, the mm -hmm. the famous Playboy artist. Anyway, mm -hmm. whatever. So, <laughs> but this this makeup and costuming is clearly a caricature. Mm -hmm. And what I love is that we see Xander's reaction to the two of them, mm -hmm. not what they're doing to each other. And once again, we hold for recognition for a really uncomfortably long time, which just <laughs> makes me so happy in my heart um, because it's a beautiful twist on the idea of the male gaze, which I've talked mm -hmm. about before on this podcast. Here in the ice cream truck, instead of men acting and women appearing, we have women acting on each other mm -hmm. and a man trying desperately to keep up. <laughs> I also okay. appreciate... I appreciate that we don't see what Willow is doing to Tara because because she says, watch this, and then he mm -hmm. does. But 
we're in Xander's unconscious mind, mm-hmm. and Xander doesn't know what he thinks two women do together. <laughs> All right. Xander at this age hasn't looked into that quite a bit. No. <laughs> I mean, well, you were, so you made the, you, you mentioned Willow that like, mm-hmm. oh, this is, this is icky because it's Willow specifically. And I yeah. think it's, I think it's meaningful because it's Willow specifically. Like it's okay. one thing, it's one thing to, you know, look at a Playboy centerfold where two naked women have their arms around each other. And mm-hmm. it's another thing to, Think about your friend who you've known since she was five and you were five as having a girlfriend. And like, what does that even mean? Like what? Mm-hmm. What? even? <laughs> but 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 how do you do a spell together? What do you even do when you do a spell together? I just enjoy it. Yeah. I enjoy it as a moment of anxiety for Xander because I don't see it. I don't see it as a turn on. I don't see him being like, yeah, two women in the back of the ice cream truck. Oh, see, that's exactly what I see. But I'm really glad that you don't. I'm I glad don't that there's that. I'm glad that there may be something more there that I'm not picking up because that's what I see and it irritates me every time. But his face looks so shocked and yeah. so like he <laughs> looks uncomfortable. And then later when he talks to Snyder about I'm supposed to meet <laughs> I'm supposed to meet Buffy, or I'm supposed to meet uh, Tara and Willow, and maybe, and maybe Buffy's, Buffy's mom. mom. Like he's kind of, <laughs> he's kind of uncomfortable about it. Like he's uh-huh. always, he's really awkward in that scene yeah, with Joyce. Yeah. Like he's trying mm-hmm. to be cool, but he's obviously not cool. Well, and, and everywhere, here, everywhere in Xander's dream, even though it's his dream, and they're you know quote unquote his spaces, he doesn't belong. Right. So when he's right. at Buffy's house, he's thrown into this situation with Joyce that he knows like you can feel how uncomfortable he is he knows it's Mm -hmm. not quite right he can't even relax and go to the bathroom without being judged I mean there's a clipboard Mm -hmm. in there for crying out loud and (laughs) you know he's he's at the playground being called you know brother in this way that Uh shocks him he's watching you know Spike and and Giles and Giles is training Spike as the watcher and not Xander. And I think Spike is wearing the outfit that he wears in Tabula Rasa. I was, I was wondering about that because it looks yeah. a lot like that same outfit. Yep. And um, so, like, Spike doesn't yeah. belong in that watcher mm-hmm. conversation. And then, right. you know, Tara and Willow are very comfortable together in the back of the ice cream truck. And he doesn't really mm-hmm. belong there either. Anya gives him her blessing to go join them, and she's talking about moving on to go back to vengeance. He doesn't really belong <laughs> with her. And then yeah. when he goes yeah. to the apocalypse now, you know, with Snyder, who, like, I saw as, like, a precursor to what we get with Xander's father, like, this other mm-hmm. male authority figure. Yeah. And he's like, where who are you from? also does not approve of him. Yeah. Right. He says, where are you from, Harris? And he says, well, the basement, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. then it's constantly just back to that basement because that's where he yeah. does not want to be. But that's the only mm-hmm. place he thinks he belongs. It's um, so sad. It's so <laughs> sad. You know, it's so sad. But I do love that he has like grown enough to stand up to Snyder and literally you know, 
Li- yeah. yeah, literally. But I never got the chance to tell you how glad I was you got eaten by a snake. Makes me laugh. I know that, every that's a great line. Damn time. It's so good. <laughs> it's a great line. It's a great line. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I like all the stuff in Xander's dream except for the stuff with women, including that moment where Buffy says, "Way ahead of you, big brother," and he says, "Brother," like he's still looking for something you know more romantic or sexual with Buffy and the fact that out of all of these and you know how I feel about Anya Mm -hmm. out of all of these women that he's sexualizing the one that he does not look on that way is his girlfriend you know and then she just says yes sure fine go you know pursue all the other women um and uh and also while they're in the one of the things I did like is that while they're in the the truck the truck is also not going anywhere. It's one of those chroma keyed backgrounds, you know, just like, you know, <laughs> running through. So he's not moving anywhere with that. So I do like all of that. I don't like Xander with Anya. I don't like the way that he treats Anya. I don't like the way that he thinks about Anya. So the fact that in this dream where he's he's viewing all of these women as somehow his sexual territory, which is how I read it. I like that you guys don't read it that way. That's how I read it. Uh, he it completely ignores Anya and whatever her needs might be in that. And I know it's his dream and everything, but that's where his his mind is at. He doesn't think of her. Um, and so Anya all has learned how to me. drive by gesturing emphatically. I love that. She's so cute. Well, and I, and so I saw yeah. some similarities, I guess, between Willow and Xander, just in terms Mm-hmm. of how you know relationships or sexuality can can tap into vulnerability in our dreams because mm-hmm. you know willow and i agree completely with noel i think joss whedon has a lot more hang-ups about willow's oh yeah lesbian self than willow does but mm-hmm. it was interesting to me that when she's back in front of that classroom you know doing her book report and i think wearing the same dress that she wore in welcome to the hellmouth yeah, um, I think it was. That Oz is very flirty with Tara and Tara mm-hmm. is into it. Yeah, so like yeah. it's it's not overly sexual, but it is very intimate. Um where mm-hmm, she so mm-hmm. it it kind of almost felt like a similar vulnerability thread to me. Mm-hmm. Um but again, that may be a very, very, very generous reading. Yeah. No, the, I like it. The my like relationship it. is not secure mm-hmm. theme seems to be in both Willow and Xander's dreams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love I love the shift in Tara in Willow's dream. I love that she goes from this like sort of benevolent, ethereal, almost like fae creature who's like, yes, you know, mm-hmm. the play has already started. That's not the point. You know, she's really. She's the oracle. Throughout. Yes. 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 But I love then that when Willow is in that moment, of you know being stripped of her uh, supposed Mm -hmm. costume and having to give this book report that tara i mean and and give it up like let's give it up for amber benson once again with that smirk oh yeah that Mm -hmm. that like oh she just looks so wicked all of a sudden with oz you know whispering in her ear and you're Mm -hmm. oh it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking (laughs) but the idea that like maybe your relationship isn't all that you Mm -hmm. think it is or wish it were then i think comes back with xander and anya like part of the reason part of the reason that anya is not this like seductive presence in Xander's dream I think is that there is that anxiety about how connected is their relationship really Mm -hmm. for Xander 
Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. But and it and that fear, yeah. right? Of like, oh, if my partner sees this about me, I will lose them. Mm-hmm. You know, which I think echoes through through both of their dreams so much. Um, but in terms of like just just beautiful heat on screen, can can we talk about Willow painting Tara's back? Oh, like yeah. I just, I mean, we have I, to. when I I'm think sorry. of restless, <laughs> that's what I think of, and and I love it, and yeah. I love it, and I don't care if it has any narrative meaning. I don't care. I just want to watch it all day long. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. It is really and beautiful. It's, and it's Sappho, right? We all know mm-hmm. this at this point that she's painting. Um, yes, Sappho's Ode to Aphrodite. In, in the original Greek, mm-hmm. <laughs> which just is, oh, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So, and, so I, good. and I love Tara, like her role in these dreams, right? Because she tells Willow, you don't know everything about me. And all mm-hmm. Willow is concerned about is, have you told me your real name? You know, which is such mm-hmm. great foreshadowing for family when we get there in season five. Yeah. But, you know, you call Tara the Oracle, and I think that's exactly right. And I love how she's represented in Buffy's dreams, right? Mm-hmm. So because it feels like Buffy trusts her, you know, and looks to her for knowledge. And we know in a lot of ways, Tara seems to know and see things that other people just oh, don't yeah. know, mm-hmm. you know, and see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Tara's the one that foreshadows Dawn. She tells Buffy, you think you know what's to come, what you are, you haven't even begun. And like, I love, I love Tara in mm-hmm. this wise, elder kind of ethereal role, just all the way through. I mean, Amber Benson is just amazing. She really is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I want to get into Willow's dream and and talk about all of the things there. But just to wrap up with Xander's dream real mm-hmm. quick. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about it a little bit, but of course, the monster at the top of the stairs is Xander's yeah. father. And I just, the the thing that he says right before he rips out Xander's heart is the line ends here with us and you're not going to change that. You haven't the heart. And then mm-hmm. rips his heart out, which, you know, he is the heart. This is his yeah. role in the spell. I get it. I get it. I get it. But ouch. I mean, yeah. Like, wow, wow, wow. Like, you don't have the heart to yeah. move past this basement and this abusive yeah. family and everything it represents is just mm-hmm. well the thing that's really interesting about Xander's dream is it is the only one I think in which there is a lot of power coming from a source outside of this core group that there is a real psychological trauma in Xander that we don't recognize and we don't see you know, mm-hmm. and he shows up in this. Um, and we've had like little references, but we don't really get a vision of of not just his home life, but what his home life has done to him. You know, I mean, Giles is dreaming about Buffy and Buffy's his kid. You know, Willow is dreaming about everybody. and It's Oz and it's Xander and it's, you know, Tara. It's all major cast members, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get Olivia a little bit with Giles, and that's going to be really interesting, too, because there's a powerful moment with her. Um, I love it. But yeah, but like Xander, you know, we've got because all of this is, you know, supposedly something that's brought on. It's a shared dreamscape. It's a um, an experience with this, you know, first slayer that's going around killing everybody, which we will talk about. Um, but Xander has this unbelievably powerful yet 
just for a moment you know the monster at the top of the stairs in the basement is not the slayer it's his dad you know mm-hmm. um and and the dad is the one that lunges at him the dad is the one that says you don't have heart the dad is the one that is is you know coming after him and terrifying him um and that i think is incredibly powerful and something that's really easy to like not register as much because it's not a major character it's not a major storyline it's not something we ever talk about mm-hmm yeah, Xander's Xander's home life is by and large behind the scenes or yeah. in the in the subtext or in the barely there yeah. text. There will be a yeah. line or two that gives you a sense of Xander's home life, and mm-hmm. I mean, you really see. I feel like we're really seeing Joss Whedon's affection for Xander. Mm-hmm. in this dream and maybe yeah. i mean and maybe that's why i love xander's dream so much is that joss whedon clearly loves xander and has put yes. that connection mm-hmm. um into into this you know this like little story within a story really right the, mm-hmm. that is one thing that that we don't i don't think we have notes about but the the problem of these dreams sort of being stories within a story, but mm-hmm. not really. Um, but anyway, I was I was finishing up with I was finishing up with Joss Whedon's affection for Xander. Um, and it I, I mean, Xander, Xander is Xander is Joss's guy. Like we know yes. this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's really here in this episode, I think, in a way that for me works really powerfully. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that it really does. Um, and sometimes I think that the 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 extra textual idea of Joss and Xander being um, doppelgangers, Xander being a fictional uh, self-insertion for Joss Whedon, I think there's like some argument for that, you know, and I think that we've seen a fair bit of it. And I think that it, it gives me kind of an uncomfortable um, or I feel sometimes like I get an uncomfortable uh, vision into Joss Whedon's uh, psychology through Xander, which oh, yeah. can sometimes be a little bit disturbing because um, because I try to keep that separated, you know, because I don't know Joss Whedon. I don't know anything about Joss Whedon, but man, there's there's some there's feels like Xander is a confession, a confessional of some sort, a fictional confessional for uh, for Joss Whedon um, and for the way that he thinks, which I think well, is really I mean, interesting. Isn't that kind of what writers do like isn't that kind of the fun of being a writer that you are <laughs> you are all of your all of your characters to a certain degree yeah, yeah. to a certain yeah. degree definitely definitely yeah. but i mean there's also an entire team of writers building all of these characters together uh but xander feels very very jossy you know mm-hmm. <laughs> has a has a big ode to whedon uh, yeah. on him yeah um, so then what do yeah. we make like so if if xander is Whedon and very mm-hmm. much Whedon in this story in this episode yeah. what the fuck do we do about Buffy and Giles and being tied for being the actual fucking worst I mean between Giles's patriarchal yeah. bullshit and Buffy's racism the whole thing makes me so stabby I just yeah, want to lop the episode <laughs> off after Xander's dream I'm like can we just be done like yeah, it gets oh! it gets real bad. It gets real it's bad. So um bad. so let's talk a little bit. We haven't spent much time on Giles's dream. So let's talk a little bit about Giles's dream. Although actually are we are we done talking about Willow cuz Willow's I don't know, Willow's stuff is probably like my favorite. Is it? What do <laughs> you love? About dream? Willow's I love stuff? 
Okay, I love Willow's. Um, I love. I, well, I love the opening with Tara, and I think like as far as like the whole narrative value, like I gave up on Restless having a strong narrative from the beginning. So this is just you know I've so given up. So we're just not that. gonna. We're not gonna so address gonna, it. This is not there. I'm just gonna enjoy. No, there's no point in me you know going off on that although like there is there is a little bit of that later when we come to the the first slayer stuff um because anyway but uh but i love i love her painting you know on tara's back i love tara as oracle um i love willow's uh vision of the play um i love riley as cowboy guy um i love uh, buffy's buffy's whole you know whole speech you men with your sails. Um, I love that whole thing. I think that's adorable. Um, you know, we've got Harmony, which I absolutely love. I love Harmony as a vampire trying to bite on Giles. I love Giles. I, okay. I don't love Giles' patriarchal bullshit, but I love the, that we get a clear representation of, yes, exactly, this is the shit I'm talking about, you know, with Harmony saying props and Giles saying no, and then Riley says props, and he says, yes, you know, um, uh-huh. that, uh, th- like, that kind of thing is a real experience, and I feel very strongly that a woman put that line in, um, <laughs> but I think that... All of this stuff is um, I, I really enjoy like Willow's whole dream and that whole experience. And there's there's a lot of fun with the backstage. I love Giles doing the the big speech beforehand. I love that he doesn't have his glasses because he doesn't see, you know, um, all of that kind of stuff. I really, really like in, in Willow's dream. And I think it's uh, it's it's very fun. We do play a little bit on this expectation with the everyone knows about you, the real you. They're yeah. going to see what you are. That we're playing on this uh, idea of an internalized homophobia when in actuality it's an internalized nerdophobia, I guess. Uh, that it's not really about her sexuality, but it's about her being a nerd. Or is the nerd thing a stand-in for her being weird I, or feeling weird and insecure about her sexuality? I, I don't know. I saw it more. Okay, so first of all, I love Willow wanting drama class to be done right. Like, yes, yes, you go to class and rehearse and learn your lines before (laughs) you put on a production. Like, follow the rules of the syllabus. God damn it. Like, I really, really love that. But I, Mm -hmm. and I think that whole, like, they're going to see you. And if they see you, they're going to punish you. um, That Mm -hmm. maybe we're supposed to read that as homophobia or nerdophobia. But I read it as, um, magic and mundane so like willow has Mm -hmm. stepped into this role as witch right and she just performed Mm -hmm. like this big spell that like merged them all into super slayer Mm -hmm. and so like once you've done that like you have you have demonstrated power in a certain arena you can't take it back but like then imposter syndrome sets in right Mm -hmm. never good enough who do you think you are like Maybe right. maybe that was a fluke or like that's not really you or like you can't own that power. So it was mm-hmm. more putting her back. Like I didn't read it so much. I mean, there's relationship stuff there. You know, Oz says mm-hmm. I've been here forever. And I think that means like in Willow's heart. Yeah. Um, and not so much the, you know, it's not really the outfit or the, you know, being a nerd versus not being a nerd. But mm-hmm. Willow before that true magical self that is now really part of her and that power that Mm -hmm. she has and going back to the time before she had it and seeing herself the way I would imagine she would think Tara would see her you know Mm -hmm. where magic is a part of who they are together and if Willow didn't have that 
then that would be like a huge vulnerability point for her. So that was kind mm-hmm. of how I was reading that. But okay. no, I like it. I just had a ping of recognition as you were speaking about the magic and the mundane, Kelly, because mm-hmm. I don't, I, I didn't really understand why the clothing from Welcome to the Hellmouth would come up and like mm-hmm. what was going on there because Willow to me never seemed to have hang-ups about being a nerd like it wasn't like oh I'm so ashamed that I'm a nerd or my clothes Mm -hmm. aren't cool or whatever it was much more about like she she didn't love that Cordelia was bullying her but she also kind of accepted it and I think that 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 it's not so much about nerdiness or uncoolness or whatever as it is about being isolated and being Mm -hmm. detached from any sort of community because that was what the clothing represented certainly way back in the beginning of you know the Mm -hmm. way back in season one willow's nerdiness was what supposedly was keeping her from having this group of friends, the way that mm-hmm. Cordelia always right. had a group of friends following her around. So the outfit becomes not so much about quote unquote nerdiness, whatever that means, right? That's just the right. search for knowledge, <laughs> somebody who's into <laughs> knowledge. Um, it's not so much about her nerdiness and her insecurity about that as it is about her her fear of being alone and separated mm-hmm. from her friends again. Yeah. Yeah. Does no, that, I like that. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. it's not about... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And then, of course, her book report is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is a little little mm-hmm. Christian allegory for the baby witch. <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of like, oh, that's... For the, for the Jewish baby uh, witch, yes. Yeah, the little Christian Jewish allegory. Jewish baby witch. Yes. Yes. Well, and oh, you know what? Okay. That's really interesting, though, when you think about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and you think about how Willow is represented in Xander's dream, because, you know, that is the series that sends Susan to hell for wearing lipstick and pantyhose so mm-hmm. i'm just saying it kind of just saying yeah <laughs> do you think that anybody who paid attention to the fact that it was a christian allegory or that a woman went to hell for wearing uh pantyhose and lipstick or, or that it's just appropriate it because it has the word witch in it graders book report and not a high school yeah. student but whatever I think, I think it just has the word witch in it and so they're like okay <laughs> yeah I kind of feel like maybe we're reading a little bit more in there. Um, All right. So Giles' dream. Um, I actually, I know, Noelle's going to flip a table. I'm going to let you flip a table in just a minute. I'm going to give you the whole (laughs) stage. I'll set the table up for you. Um, But Giles' dream starts with this moment that is reminiscent of Helpless, right? When he's sort of hypnotizing Buffy. Um, And... The incredible amount of guilt, I think, that he probably still and always will feel about that betrayal, um, I feel like is is an interesting place to start this. And then we go into this, you know, they're at this street fair and she's his daughter and they're holding hands. And then we've got Olivia there pushing a baby stroller. Mm-hmm. Um, and we go straight from, you know, um, oh, he does, he references Buffy and says blood of the lamb and all that, you know, that she is the sacrifice, right? Um, and there is like, he is representative of this watcher 
patriarchy, which as we go further, you know, through Buffy all the way through to season seven, where we find out what the original Watchers did to the original Slayer, um, the Watchers are fucking evil, you know, and they do run through Slayers like Kleenex, you know, um, without any real consideration for the Slayers themselves as humans, you know. So um, him... I, I I read this as him feeling like the guilt of what it means to be a watcher. Um, and then we've got Spike vying for his attention with his, uh, you know, his 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 tourist trap, you know, uh, picture thing, which I absolutely <laughs> he sold love. himself as an attraction. I love and it. He's in black and white during those. Those shots are all in black and white, which I think is really, really fun. Then we have Giles going through um, into Spike's crypt, and there is, um, or I guess it's about the same time, and Olivia is sitting there next to an empty stroller just weeping, right? And it's, again, like one of these background details that I think it's easy to to not notice that much. I mean, she's sitting there in shadow, you know, next to a black stroller that you can barely see the way that she's lit, you know, and just weeping over this thing. And Giles is completely ignoring her, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which which I find like this whole thing seems to be about Giles's guilt, you know, um, about everything. And and then, of course, Willow says, do you know, this is your fault. Yeah. <laughs> when he walks in um, and he gets into the. um uh, into the bronze and then starts his his song and talks with them um and so i find like giles's dream just to be this this complete meditation on his guilt his culpability um and i find that really kind of interesting it's not what i would have expected from giles but yet that i think is definitely a part of his his character all right so noel Yes. Would you like to flip a table on Giles? Well, I just read no, like, I read no guilt. I read no remorse yeah. from him. Uh-huh. Like, it, Giles' dream to me, it see, it, Giles' dream suggests to me that his unconscious mind sees in it. It's littered with his bad <laughs> I'm like deeds. so angry. I, mean, I can't even. No, I get it. Giles' unconscious suggests. Mm-hmm. That he sees himself as a patriarch in mm-hmm. all senses of the word. Mm-hmm. He is so, like, what is it that he said? Like, he's hypnotizing her at the beginning. And like, I don't see this that. This is the as way about... that men and women have behaved since the beginning of time. Something like that. Yeah, that line it's, was uh, creepy yeah. coming from yeah, Giles it to Buffy. It's yeah, it creepy. Was. They're, they're like, he's standing. She's sitting there in his empty house. He's got mm-hmm. the pocket watch doing the hypnotist trick Mm -hmm. it's so creepy it speaks so strongly to me to the abuse of power yeah in the watcher slayer relationship in Mm -hmm. the um the teacher like like it's like a bad teacher moment it's like the Mm -hmm. the imbalance of power in a teacher student relationship and then we go directly from that to Giles' dream vision of Buffy as a literal child. Mm -hmm. Like, she is a child, and he is so irritated with her about every fucking thing. Mm -hmm. I just... I have... I I have no time for it. I have no time for it. I No, I get it. But I feel like because we're in Giles' POV, 
like the fact that he is seeing all of these things, that he is the one who is presenting all of these things. It feels like a guilt and shame parade for me, for Giles. Because if he wasn't feeling guilt, if he wasn't feeling shame, this isn't what he would show himself. Like he wouldn't even see any of that stuff. Yeah, I saw it differently. Um, mm-hmm. So I, because I do think that that Giles has guilt, but I saw it as someone trying to fit himself into the role of a patriarch and not wanting to, and subconsciously yeah. knowing that it was wrong. So mm-hmm. like. That super creepy hypnotizing thing cuts very yeah. quickly, almost like his subconscious says, no, this is not how we think about Buffy or this is right. how you were trained to think about your Slayer, but you know it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's like mm-hmm. very like we're done with that and we don't we don't go back to that at all. Um, and then when he has her like at that fair, or that festival and she's this little child. And he is so brash with her, you know, and so impatient. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't have any treats. Like, what am I supposed to yeah. do? She wants she wants this pat on the head. And because he wants to be her dad, but he mm-hmm. is her watcher. And I think he feels right. deeply conflicted about that. And, you know, we see this, this, he's very torn with Olivia, you know, Olivia's there with the stroller, she's there in the dream, but he has no time for her because Mm -hmm. he has no time for his own life. He has no space for like his own love interest because he is a watcher where they're both part of this very corrupt system that he's just starting to see, like he's just starting to understand how evil his role is. And that's mm-hmm. conflicting with his identity where he used to think that being a watcher was a good thing, you know? Yeah. Because he tells that first slayer, I can defeat you with my intellect. I can cripple you with my thoughts. Of course you <laughs> underestimate me. You never had a watcher. But the thing is, uh-huh. he can't. He can't actually yep. do any of that. And he knows it. Yep. So, mm-hmm. like, I, I did yep. feel that he was, I think it, it was almost like his dream affirming the things he knows and all of oh, that is in conflict with what he was taught. Because there yeah. is that lack of conviction. When yeah. he's saying, like, he's saying the words about, you know, I can defeat you with my thoughts. Um, you know, I know who you are and how I can defeat you. But he doesn't have, he doesn't have, have any real, there's n- there's not a lot of oomph behind that. Yeah. Um, and in that moment, I'm actually flashing to the end of Moana. when. Yeah. Moana confronts Taka, the lava monster, and mm-hmm. she says, I know your name. They have stolen the heart from inside you, but this does not define you. Oh. And I'm like, that is what is missing mm-hmm. in the interaction between Giles or really anyone and this first slayer is, you know, it's not I know you and I know how to defeat you. It's I know you and I'm sorry for what uh-huh. happened to you. Yeah. Like. That yeah. is what, because that's like it. That moment when he's like, mm-hmm. he's he is. Oh God, it's so gross. Like it, the the, I can defeat you with my thoughts. It's like you really can't though. Like you really can't. But yeah, this this whole thing with um, with the way that the first Slayer is treated, that is my table flipping for restless. <laughs> That is where I get deep, Uh, deep into table flipping. But before we get there, let's start with Buffy's dream. Because the beginning of Buffy's dream, 
up until we have interaction with the first Slayer. Um, has some interesting things. We have this oracle moment from Tara. You think you know what's to come, what you are. You haven't even begun. And be back before dawn, right? Uh-huh. Which I think is really nice because, of course, we are going to get dawn coming in season five. Um, there's this moment with Joyce and the wall. Right. Where she's like, I really don't think you should be in the wall. And then Joyce says, well, maybe you can break it down. And Buffy just leaves her there. (laughs) That is a fascinating interaction. It's such a quick moment. And again, like the stuff that I think that speaks really deeply, Xander's father, Olivia crying with the um, stroller, you know. yeah, um, which we didn't really talk about. But does she look pregnant to anyone else? Does Olivia look pregnant? didn't they have her wearing such dark clothes like you can't really even see her she's so faded into the background i you read know? her as pregnant i read her as like the empress in mourning oh in that yeah. but again like maybe i wonder maybe, if she was pregnant maybe that she tr- wanted a baby and maybe that's a trick of the light but, yeah. maybe the actress was pregnant maybe, maybe i'm seeing something and reading it as pregnancy that it's not but i Okay. I just wanted to see if anyone else had seen Olivia as pregnant. I didn't see it. I was so focused on the empty baby stroller. You know, who's the stroller for? Her baby or for Buffy? I don't know. And of course, is she is she crying over the loss that we're going to get of Buffy at the end of season five? Is that a prophetic thing? Um but it's also like it feels it felt to me in Giles's dream with Olivia that Olivia was um, cause Olivia for the 35 seconds that we actually get of her throughout the run of season four seems pretty awesome. Like I like She's her a lot. Rad. You know, she would be really, really great. Where's why... the spinoff show about Olivia? <laughs> yeah. But why we didn't do more with her. Maybe she's mm-hmm. crying for the loss of childhood for every Slayer. Because that, Maybe. you know, they're girls. These are girls. Oh, yeah. shit. And of course, she's, I mean, we do race really poorly on this show. But of oh, course, yeah. she is a black woman. And our first Slayer is a black woman. Yeah. A black woman who is the only, like, character in this whole thing that has any empathy for the other mm-hmm. black women here. Yeah. That reads That tracks. Yeah. yeah. That yes. fucking tracks. Oh, she's yeah. weeping. And it she's weeping hurts. for the loss of the first layer. That's, I just right. had Somebody should that. be. Somebody fucking should be. Okay, that's my table flip. Yeah. Let me hang on with that for a minute. <laughs> Let's finish Buffy's stream before I'm sorry. I go full. This is the problem. We get before on Before I go thing full then... table flippy, I'm telling you, because well, it just, it, it bothers me so much. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I could see Olivia being the one crying for that first yeah. layer in the dark where no one else is paying attention. And nobody pays any attention. Yeah. But and and I have table flipping with Buffy's dream too. But what what mm-hmm. I liked about Buffy's dream is that she is the dreamer within a dream. So like Buffy mm-hmm. falls through two layers of dreaming, and then at the end she has mm-hmm. to wake herself up twice. Yes, um, which mm-hmm. is like that. There is that deep connection with Slayers and dreaming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and she she's got that callback to a previous dream. You know, Faith and I just yes. made that bed. Um, yeah. So it like I really liked the levels of that. I was very curious about Anya being the person in the other dorm bed. Anya is very vulnerable in that bed. Um, mm-hmm. So Buffy's most intimate like bedroom conversations here are first with Anya and then with Tara, who are two characters that we later lose, mm-hmm. um, which I just I just thought was so, so interesting. Um yeah. You know, and Buffy knows that her friends are in danger, but she leaves Joyce in the wall. Um, mm-hmm. And then when she walks into the initiative, Riley says, hey there, killer. 
And, yeah. you know, and, and she's like, we're not demons. And Adam says, oh, is that a fact? And so, right. like, I think just as Giles is starting to understand, like, the evilness of the Watchers, that Buffy is starting mm-hmm. to question the source of the Slayer. And, like, is yeah. is there something demonic there? And maybe that is why she's so harsh to the first Slayer. Other than, you know, white feminist patriarchal bullshit, which I will let y'all flip tables on because it just pisses me <laughs> off to no end. But she, no, it's so awful. She has to cover her face before she has that mm-hmm. confrontation. Like, she has to put on this mask yeah. or, like, hide. So, like, maybe because she is afraid of what that first layer might actually tell her, that mm-hmm. she, you know, rebukes and diminishes her and dismisses her. Um, yeah. So, like, I, I yeah. kind of saw, you know, I saw a lot of that. But then it just made me so mad I didn't care anymore. Yeah. Um. All right. Are we ready to table flip? Was there anything else? We did have I a thing mean, about names, though, that I thought was yeah. interesting with Riley and with, uh, with Adam, mm-hmm. where Riley says we've got a lot of important work to do, a lot of filing, giving things names, you know, yes. and then they go off when there's danger, they go off to make a pillow fort. And the, <laughs> the lack of actual, uh, you know, effectiveness while having the power to name things. I think that names are hugely hugely important um giving something a name and and Mm -hmm. having the ability the person who names something defines it right and so these two you know white men in positions of power right are essentially ineffectual they go off and they make pillow forts when there's actual fighting to do and yet they have the power to name things they have the power to define what is what yeah um and and i found that really interesting yeah and the first layer doesn't have a name you know tara Mm -hmm. and willow are trying to find miss kitty fantastico's real name which i don't know why that can't just be miss miss kitty fantastico i Uh, think that's a great name you know and willow asks name ever (laughs) right and willow asks tara have you told me your real name so like yeah i think that But naming is also defining, right? And we haven't yet yeah. defined what a slayer is. Killer, right? Killer. Killer. It, it's uh, I mean, Riley who says killer. That's what, yeah, I love, I love Dream Riley calling Buffy killer. Mm-hmm. It feels very faith to me. Like it yeah. feels oh, like yeah. something faith would say, like, hey, killer. Mm-hmm. And there's that fantastic shot Oh, I forget. I forget what leads into it. What line leads into it? But he says, "We're the government." Yeah. And there's this shot from underneath the glass table, up, you know, through the the table at the gun that's pointing Mm -hmm. at Buffy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's a reference. That's a visual reference to something that I haven't. Some movie I haven't seen because it's probably a manly men doing manly things movie that I just would never watch. Referential, yes, exactly. That feels, but that shot feels Mm -hmm. very much like it is from something. It's a deliberate call. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's creepy and Mm -hmm. unsettling. But I love that Buffy's unconscious sense of the initiative and how effective they are is yes they build pillow yes. forts yes um, mm-hmm. it, it really said like <laughs> this week in men Willow's <laughs> unconscious and Buffy's unconscious have a really good sense of Riley I guess they do I get to be cowboy guy I get to be cowboy guy baby yeah. we're the government it's what we do <laughs> oh they're planning world domination shit. right aren't right. they world domination. world domination exactly yeah 
Exactly. With, and yeah. while they get the power to, to freaking name things, which, you know, yeah. drives me crazy. But naming um, is yeah. really interesting. Naming yeah, is really, really interesting. Naming is power. Naming defines narrative. Naming is the first step in narrative. Um, mm-hmm. And it is incredibly powerful. So the fact that they have that power and yet no real idea of what they're doing um, is very irritating. All right. I'm going to put my hands on the table. Y'all can hop in whenever you want to help me. <laughs> but um, all right, so we've got the first layer, right? Um, and I think the way that the first layer is represented in this is is probably my biggest problem, aside from the fact that I just generally don't like dreams. Um, but here we got the first layer, right? We are going to find out later that she was given her power when men in her tribe forced her to be raped by the essence of demons. So the original Watchers forced the original Slayer to be raped by demons. And then that's how she got her power. And then they used her over and over and over again. You know, when she died, the next one, the next one, the next one to kill all the demons for them so that they wouldn't have to. Um, So she's followed by this long line of women, young girls who are forced into violent and early deaths by the men who hide behind them and their power. And so her choice when wakened by whatever this, you know, mind meldy spell is, is to kill Buffy and her friends. Um, I could see her going after Giles. Uh-huh. You know, I could absolutely had this been about the first Slayer wanting to kill Giles and Giles having to face the long line of horrible that was that patriarchal bullshit from the Watchers. I'd be much more into this, you know, um, than, <laughs> yeah. than the way that it is, because she's going after after Buffy. She's going after Willow. She's going after Xander, you know, um, this when OK, when we have this black woman right, who is represented and, and physically presented as, as primal, as almost animalistic in her movements. Um, and then we have a white woman speak for her uh, in Tara, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have Buffy saying, let her speak for herself. That's what's done in polite circles. Um, I, it, it, all of it, it just, and then she comes in with, I have no speech, no name. I live in the action of death, the blood cry, the penetrating wound. I am destruction. I am absolute alone. Right. Um, all of that is. Of course, she has a name. Of course, she has a name. She should be like this character should be making us recognize the brutality of this whole idea of these young women slayers. Even if at this point we don't know the origin of that power, like the horrible violating origin of that power, we know that these young girls are in succession, you know, be made to kill, made to live violently and then die a young death, a young, violent, painful death, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then to have Buffy treat her with no respect, you know, um, I walk, I sleep, I shop, I sneeze. If ever there was anything more white feminist than the way that Buffy speaks to this woman, this slayer with whom she should be feeling an essential sisterhood. You know, um, you are not the source of me. You are not the source of me is so. It's so fucking. It's so back ass words, you know, and you say white feminism, but it's 
is there even feminism here? Like, this is just white supremacy. Oh, this is just. Yeah, I guess the white feminism to me comes in in the end when she says, oh, and by the way, think about the way you do your hair. You know, right. This, yeah, like, that's when I flip the table. That's where that's I, where I, there's white feminism. Oh my god, I was. So the rest of it is just plain off. old classic white supremacy. But when women do this to women, um, when women allow the supremacies that give them some hold on to some sort of power to take down other women, um, that hurts. Like it hurts to watch it. It yeah. hurts to see it. It hurts to see Buffy. Our hero, right? Our our paragon of what is essentially good and right within the text, treating this woman this way, you know, this woman to whom she owes her power, this woman whose identity, like we just strip from her. Um, mm-hmm. you know, she has a fucking name and we should have heard it. We well, should have heard it in this and she should have been able to, to me say that they it. say that. Because yeah. in the spell in Primeval, Willow invokes Sinea or mm-hmm. da- daughter. Is it daughters of Sinea? Now I want to mm-hmm. look it up again. But yeah. it's like it's a it's a cool series of words that mm-hmm. Willow yeah. gives us in this spell that sounds very. The the spell sounds like it's done right, but Giles says at the end of Restless, somehow our joining with Buffy and invoking the essence of the Slayer's power was an affront to the source of that power. And I'm like, um, yeah, like you should have thought that through a little bit. Like, right. And her going after Giles as the representation of the Watchers. Yeah, that makes could... sense to me. I yeah. also, I mean, it does make sense to me that she would go after... Buffy and her friends Mm -hmm. that her how do I want to say this her the source of the power right Mm -hmm. is pain and trauma and isolation so Mm -hmm. any bringing in any sort of friendship or support would presumably be an affront to that power maybe not yeah. that, you know, not that it should be that way, but this idea that like basically <laughs> basically I feel like the 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 spirit of the first slayer is is angry because Buffy has this opportunity to experience community that she, you know, as the first slayer that she in was pain denied. and isolation would never have. It's yeah. I, is that... I mean, I guess, but that paints her as jealous and looking to deny something that she deny... would have wanted. But also, um, like, yeah. but also that that like, I mean, there's the white feminism, right? That like, oh, I can't understand. Like, I as a white person, why would why would a black woman be angry with me? Why mm-hmm. would a black person want to hurt me? That kind of like, I didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't, you know, my <laughs> I didn't enslave anyone. Like, that's the kind of yeah rhetoric but- that gets us into a lot of trouble because it's not. I don't know. Like, I can't, I don't want to speak about, I don't, I I wonder how this looks to black women, specifically watching mm-hmm. 
Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like I really, I really yeah. wish, I really wish that we had done our due diligence and gotten some, you know, black women who are clearly, you know, out there doing wonderful amazing mm-hmm. scholarship on these properties that we love to weigh in on this character because she's she is fascinating to me mm-hmm. and the idea especially the idea that someone who is treated with so little care and compassion and who is made to be a shield like a dangerous shield for the men who enable right. her suffering. That but we bring she would her in, making her the angry at, black woman. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like that's the thing. Like we're because I I I don't see Buffy, and I'm certainly not saying, oh, I didn't do this, and so then you shouldn't be mad at me that she shouldn't be mad at Buffy. Except that like, um, the things that happened to her and her experience were brought on by men, by these watchers. Um, And the fact that she would be mad at Buffy because Buffy has something that she doesn't have puts us in a position where we are looking at a, um, we're, we're, we're diving into this angry black woman as though she's just, she's just jealous. She's just envious or whatever. As opposed to that there's real there's real reasons for for complaint here that go beyond you have something that I didn't have, you know. Um, so I don't know. Like, I feel like there's there's a lot in that that are um, there's a lot in this that just it feels like it's such an accurate kind of representation of the ways in which these complaints are often ignored. Um, especially when the fucking cheese man comes in the second the first slayer starts to speak with her own voice and steps in on her. Oh God. Yeah. Um, I was wondering yeah. if Willow could have changed the tone of those interactions with the slayer in her dream. So Mm -hmm. the dreams hit Willow first, I'm presuming, because she's the one who cast the spell, right? She was the voice that evoked Mm -hmm. this spirit. Mm -hmm. And her reaction to that first slayer, the first time she sees her, senses her in the background of her dream, is fear. She -hmm. doesn't approach her. So if Willow had seen her, I mean, they all intuitively know who she is. You know, they say Mm -hmm. the spirit of the first slayer tried to kill us in our dreams. They know who she is. If Willow had approached her and said, have I offended you? Did this spell hurt you? I'm sorry if that's the Mm -hmm. case. What are you here? Do you have a message? Can we help you? Like, would that have shifted the Slayer's interaction with everyone? Um, And -hmm. I don't know. But I I think that there's, there's there's a possibility of, you know, how are you reacting to how you're being treated in that dream space? And they they expect violence from her and so she delivers violence and Mm -hmm. i don't know that that necessarily had to be the case it's a problem i i find it (laughs) really really upsetting oh yeah. um and when buffy says you're gonna have to get over the whole primal power thing you're not the source of me in terms of hair care you're gonna want to say what kind of impression am i making in the workplace yeah Um, that is some racist bullshit right there yeah it's and so it it feels this last part feels so representative 
of, I mean, to have a white man with fucking cheese on his head and no relevance to anything step on her the moment she speaks for herself <laughs> um, feels like such a, an accurate representation. That so, that's so accurate. That's exactly yet, what happens. And yet, I think, like, not an intentional look at that, you know? Right. But it is it is exactly a representation of that. Um and yeah, it's it's you know it's really table flippy. It's really it's an upsetting thing to watch. Oh yeah, and and I do I appreciate the concept, if not the execution of of acknowledging that this is a dream and mm-hmm. I'm waking up mm-hmm. like Buffy Buffy. The, the increasing the increasing lucidity of these dreams is yeah. interesting, right? Because Willow is clearly just in a dream. Mm-hmm. Willow has very little agency in her dream. Yes. Xander has some. He kind of understands he kind of understands that he has this goal of getting out of the basement and he is able to literally stand up to Snyder and in doing so ends up in a different location. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then Giles, we with Giles we get Giles doing Giles, right? Of like, you know, the spell, you know, he sings the spell we cast with Buffy must have released some primal evil. He's like figuring it out mm-hmm. and doing his Gilesiness. And then Buffy is like, okay, this is literally a dream. I'm in mm-hmm. a dream. I'm waking up now. That I appreciate. But God, it's so, it's, yeah, it's, it's racist bullshit is what it is. There's just not another. Yeah. There's not another way of expressing that. No. But as a, on the whole for Restless, I was curious, like, you know, magic has consequences in this world. Mm-hmm. A, a shared nightmare seems kind of light. And so I was I was wondering, like, if Buffy had not realized what was going on and woken up, would they all have actually died? I think so. Yeah. I don't know, because Willow was there struggling for the whole time. And so it was just Buffy's pure, the power of Buffy's racist inability to take the (laughs) Slayer seriously that saved them all. Is that? Is that? Oh, (laughs) saved by the... (laughs) Saved by the powers of racism. Wow. Saved by the power oh, of God. white supremacy we, in and of itself. Which... Can we go back to last week where the day is saved by the power of being yourself and loving your friends? Because Right. Restless right. is a problem, you guys. It's yeah. a fucking problem. It's a fucking problem. It's, it's a problem. It's real. It's real hard for me. I mean, it was hard for me to like this before. I've talked about Restless before. And I've always, you know, I've, I've. I have never seen as clearly how horrible this is, you know, as I did this time, um, you know, because raised in supremacy culture, sometimes you just don't see it. And here is supremacy culture basically jumping on a table and doing a dance, you know. Yeah. Um, and and once you see it, you can't not see it it's really awful now so do we see do we get to see the first slayer again on the show i don't remember we see her in uh we see her in season five and we see her in season seven does she Um, look how she looks in restless like is this pretty much i think pretty i guess what i'm asking is is this meant to be 
is this meant to be an accurate representation of who the first slayer is and what she was like? Because, because, I mean, we know from having watched the entire episode that everyone is behaving in each other's dreams in this very dream life way. It's Mm -hmm. not... Mm -hmm. Now, maybe maybe this is them being more themselves um, than they are in waking life. I don't think mm-hmm. so. I think that it's the unconscious rendering of what mm-hmm. these people are. So yeah. I wonder if uh, I just I just wonder how much like how much the first slayer is the first slayer in these dreams in the same way that like how much of Tara is Tara. And how much right. of Tara is a stand-in for the first Slayer. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we get back to this, it's a dream conversation versus somebody wrote this, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Because somebody did write this, like regardless of <laughs> in the fiction, how much of anybody is anybody in a dream, uh, this was written, you know? Um, and I think that it it is a huge unintentional indictment of of supremacy culture um and uh, uh, it uh, <laughs> all right so how do we transition out and and back into the end of the oh, episode <laughs> so lonnie how do we make the transition from white supremacy to what are you wearing because i <laughs> suddenly right. like I'm suddenly not really feeling up to talking about how backstage and Willow's dream is like super backstagey and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, but it it's clothing. I mean, clothing is an important part of Willow's dream. Mm-hmm. Um, like explicitly what she's wearing is meaningful, mm-hmm. at least to everyone else. Right. You know. Yes. Buffy. Buffy saying, you know. <laughs> Your costume is perfect. No one's going to know the truth about you. Um, and then everyone in costume in Willow's Dream. I mean, Harmony in the... Is it a dirndl? What is she wearing? She's so adorable in her little milkmaid yes, outfit. Yes, I don't know, but it is It's, it's so great. adorable, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that Buffy is dressed like... Velma Kelly from Chicago. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, which is a fascinating choice mm-hmm. given what what Buffy seems to represent in Willow's dream. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there are a lot of I mean once again, this was written, right? This was written. Yeah. It was designed. It was costume designed and set designed and Everything looks, clothing-wise, I feel like everything looks very dreamlike when it needs to. I already talked a little bit about um, uh, Willow and Tara in Xander's dream looking like Robert Palmer backup dancers, which I just love. I also noticed that Olivia's makeup in Giles' dream looks similar Mm -hmm. to Willow and Tara's makeup, and I don't know what to make of that at all all interesting other than something about like the intensity of female presence Mm -hmm. in those two head spaces but i don't like i don't have a complete thought about that um 
I love Spike in his full Spike regalia. I love him mm-hmm. in Watcher regalia and then in his full Spike regalia being a <laughs> tourist yeah. attraction. Mm-hmm. And he says, I love him saying it's showbiz mm-hmm. as he's in black and white and being photographed by the yeah. adoring masses. Because, of course, you know, going all the way back to what I said at the beginning, you know, top of the show, um, you know, this is Restless is at least in part about the shared experience of watching a TV show. Yeah. Watching mm-hmm. a movie. And Spike, we know, loves TV and yes. loves movies and loves showbiz. And Spike absolutely would be, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but he would he would be selling himself as a as yeah. a tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have I got for for clothing? I love I, I know you hate sexy Joyce. I love sexy Joyce. <laughs> I, I think love... Sexy Joyce is beautiful. I don't like her being sexualized by Xander. That I don't like. I, I kind of dig it. Have you never I had like... Great. Okay, here's a... This is a real question that you don't have to answer if you don't want to, or you uh-huh. can answer me and then not put it on the podcast. <laughs> have you never had an inappropriate dream about... I Have you I never have. had a dream about someone? This isn't someone? a dream. Somebody wrote this. That's the difference. You cannot use... Reality is no defense for fiction. You cannot use the fact that people have had sexy, inappropriate <laughs> dreams as a way to defend the overt sexualization of these characters by Xander just so that you can put Joyce in a slinky outfit. Like somebody wrote it deliberately for a reason. So real real dream world is not a defense for fictional dream world. But if you're trying to write something that feels authentically mm-hmm. like a dream, does it make sense to include uncomfortable elements of dreams that really sure if you have a narrative purpose to it is there a narrative purpose to this obsession with Buffy's mom I love it I don't know the, and then the, I love him. The milfy, the milfy Joyce is just not like I. I just don't. I don't feel like we have a real reason for it aside from the fact that we want to sexualize these characters in ways that make me uncomfortable. Objectifying women for the just pure fun of objectifying women. And again, that's just how I see it. <laughs> I can definitely understand where you guys are coming from when you think it's cute and all that kind of stuff. It just irritates me. I think it's, I actually think it's more than cute. I think it's really poignant for Xander's mm-hmm. point of view. But here I have become a Xander apologist. So, you know. That's okay. Anything That's could okay. happen. I anything love Xander happen. a lot, too. I mean, there are times where I become a Xander apologist, too. But this just I, is not one of them. I enjoy it. I enjoy, and I enjoy mm-hmm. what they gave Christine Sutherland to wear. And she looks fantastic. Yes. And mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Um, yes. Uh, no, Christine Sutherland and looks amazing. Yeah. I also appreciate Xander calling Joyce Buffy's mom at the end. <laughs> oh, Buffy's mom. I know. Buffy's mom. Like he's he's clearly trying to like deprogram his own psyche. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh wow, that was like super uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Um oh, and of course, we talked about it just a tiny bit, but Riley as cowboy guy. Mm-hmm. Work in that costume. So cute. Mark Lucas so cute. is a goddamn 
gift to the senses <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> and he, I mean, he is cowboy guy. Mm-hmm. He pulls off cowboy guy. I love his enthusiasm. I, love I got here early, so I got to be cowboy, cowboy guy. Cowboy guy. That is probably the most Riley thing that they've ever had Riley say. <laughs> All right. So girl power moment of the week. What do we got? Oh, not with a girl power bit. There are little moments here and there. We could, I mean, arguably most of Tara. Um, mm-hmm. But I love Anya dealing with dream hecklers in child's dream the dude goes you suck and she says quiet you'll miss the humorous conclusion it's just like not even it doesn't even like she's unflappable Mm -hmm. in her terrible comedic stylings which i guess says a lot about how giles sees anya yeah yeah which but it's pretty cute though yeah I enjoy that. I enjoy yeah. Anya dealing with hecklers. I know. It's very Do, nice. Does anybody have anything else for girl power that's not, like, gross and white supremacist? Mm. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. Don't no. think so. Yeah. No. There's there's not, uh, you know, I mean, I think that the, uh, no, there's nothing. <laughs> Sorry. I was like, I was, I was like, can I, can I reach were, for something? You were I, so you know, excited that, for like, a minute. You had I think it. that Willow, Willow painting Tara's back has an, a, like a, a very beautiful literary embracing of who they are and what they are together that I think is, is a nice power to it. You know, the power yes. in their relationship with each other. Power in their self-acceptance, the power of, you know, yeah, yeah. So there's, I don't know. It's just, it's, I just, I don't like this episode. All right, Kelly, my love, (laughs) we brought you in for this very difficult and awkward and uncomfortable episode of, uh, of Still Pretty. So, uh, what's your favorite part of Restless? Oh, it's so funny. I'm feeling like you when you guest on the uh, Law and Order podcast. And you're like, oh, yeah. oh, great. Let me go into this dream sequence because I love dream sequences and talk about one of the most racist episodes of Buffy ever. It's great. Yes. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I really do love shared dreams as stories. Mm-hmm. Um, Spike mm-hmm. in front of those damn cameras. Everything Tara. Uh, everything Tara. I just love Tara. Yes. But I think my mm-hmm. favorite, favorite line is Xander telling Snyder I never got the chance to tell you how glad I was you got eaten by a snake like, I love that it's it's pretty freaking great it's pretty freaking great yeah all right Noelle what's your favorite part oh my favorite part is I showed up on time so I got to be cowboy guy it's one of my most quoted lines of the entire series although I usually misquote it I realized yeah. I've been mm-hmm. saying I got here early, so I got to be cowboy guy. Oh, which, I think that's I think that's pretty close. I though. mean, it's kind of kind of in the spirit of it all of our spirit. favorite misquoted lines. You know, exactly. Luke, I am your father. Played yes. against Sam, all of that. Yeah, I got here exactly. early, so I got to be cowboy guy. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, I like it. I, I love like it. it. Yeah, I think for me, it's got to be Giles and Spike on the swings. <laughs> A watcher scoffs at gravity. I think that that is probably one of the most adorable things. If you tolerated this conversation and would like to join in, 
come find us on social media. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich on Twitter, and I am at Noella Loud on Instagram, and the hashtag is still pretty. And thank you so much to Dr. Kelly Jones for hanging out with us for this episode. Kelly, tell the good people where they can find you. They can find me on Twitter at Dr. Kelly Jones, and I am co-hosting How Story Works Conversations with Lonnie with new episodes coming March 11th. Yes, I'm so excited. And if you are a current subscriber to How Story Works, conversations will show up in the same feed. And the first episode is available now for patrons. So if you support Chipperish on Patreon, you can go listen to it right now. And if you don't support Chipperish, allow me to encourage you to visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you can keep Still Pretty, How Story Works, and everything Chipperish Media does free and ad-free for everyone. Speaking of which, this episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now, so thank you to our February producers. Sarah, Shelley, Kristen, Alice, Noelle, Erica, Abigail, and Jonathan. And this week's special message for our power producers, you wear the cheese. The cheese does not wear you. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or show up early and you'll get to be Cowboy Guy. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) We will be back next time with Buffy vs. Dracula, the first episode of Season 5! Until then, be back before dawn. Mm